Welcome in radio, this is Car 98, this is Constable Harper with my partner Matthew Samard. We're just looking to call in a disturbance up here at the university over... <coughs> radio, they got an absolute ton of school spirit, they're letting us hear it over... <coughs> Folks, this is The Lake Show, what else do you want to know? <coughs> We got an absolutely jam-packed interview. You're not gonna want to go anywhere, folks. So tune in and enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming. Hey, baby, come on over. It's the Lake Show. What else do you want to know? Folks, how are we doing today? It's Hopsy. It's just Hopsy right now, actually. We had a really, really great episode in store for you today. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Got on the big man, Darren Turcott, for an interview. We talked about everything from his playing career to his coaching to everything in between. We had a lot to talk about. Got a little carried away. One of the longer interviews we've uh, done, by far the longest interview we've done, if we're being serious. But uh, we had a really good time doing it. Uh, we're very, very lucky to have uh, Turk involved with our athletic program. A man with a plethora of knowledge some great experiences in the game of hockey, and I think we're all lucky to have him involved here at Nipissing University doing great work with the women's hockey program in uh, the short time since their inception. So congrats to him and the women's Lakers as they embark on another season, wishing them the most success. Uh, it was great to touch with base with him before uh, they got going with exhibition season. He talks a little bit about uh, the recruits coming in and um, jam-packed interview. I don't want to touch on it much more. I'll just leave it. For you to listen to and enjoy, because I had a good time doing it. I felt like a little kid. felt like I was on uh, spitting chiclets or something, you know, just doing an interview about uh, hockey and stuff like that. So it was really cool. He played with like a, a million of my idols, and uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a good time. Uh, also an avid guitar player, which is something I, I didn't know about Turk. And uh, he brought his guitar in, and after we had the interview... The reason I am just doing this by myself and Salty's not here is we played guitar with Turk for like two hours after we did the interview and Salty had to run off to class. So it's just me going solo here for the little introduction, but uh, trust me, we had a good time doing this and uh, we covered a lot of good things going on. Um, apart from that, folks, I don't even really want to waste much time. We talked about a lot of stuff there in this interview and uh, I think we're just going to get right to it. Um, this is this is my chance to just say thanks for listening to only me. Might have been hard, but uh, we made it through. Here's the interview, and I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you very much, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us once again. And do we have an interview in store for you folks? We chased him around the halls of the AC all summer long. And it's September now, but we finally got him. And he ain't going anywhere, folks. The native of Boston, Massachusetts, grown up here in North Bay, Ontario. The former North Bay Trapper, North Bay Centennial, Colorado Ranger, New York Ranger, 
Hartford Whaler, Winnipeg Jet, San Jose Shark, St. Louis Blue, and Nashville Predator, and the current head coach of your women's Nipissing Lakers hockey team. Without further ado, the one, the only, Mr. Darren Turcott. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Great to be here, guys. Is our time up now after that introduction? Yeah, I'm out of yeah, breath, sorry. That's up. a lot of tea. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, honestly, uh, we're really happy to get Turk to come on here. We were uh, trying to track him down for a bit. Turk's a great guy here. Got the pleasure of getting to know him over the last four years playing here and you know being around the athletic center and whatnot. So we finally got him to agree to come onto the podcast. And uh, yeah, so really happy to have you. Me and Salty, uh, we're looking forward to this one for a while. So we hope we can talk a bit about your playing career, talk a bit about uh, how you've transitioned that into coaching and you know what you're getting up to these days. So apart from that, how have you been? Uh, been great. Been great, good. Great summer. Lots of uh, lots of golf. Lots of fishing. And uh, we're uh, we just started back last night, and we're uh, really looking forward to uh, a great season. We've got a young team, but uh, yeah, we're excited about the uh, the returning players uh, came back in great shape, and our uh, first year players look uh, like they're going to be able to step in. Uh, that's awesome. I know you were telling me that you were getting all in shape too yourself for this, for this season and uh, you had a pretty impressive um, time during the, the testing. Do you want to talk a little about that or? Well, I, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a long summer that way. Uh, <laughs> I decided that uh, I was going to try and do every training session that uh, we provide the girls over the summer just nice. to see, uh, see how that went. And uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of minor injuries and aches and pains. And I decided I'd try and uh, do the testing and I officially cannot play anymore. <laughs> I didn't get 10 on the beep test. I got, I got close, but uh, there was no, no chance I was getting 10. I heard you crush the bench though and all that, is that true? Uh, I, I crushed the bench nice. a little bit, but okay. uh, Still got it there. You know, that's, that's the easy part. Yeah. So, the running part, not so much. How would you describe the change of, um, of the training that you did when you were at that age compared to now with these athletes? Uh, it, it's completely different. You know, there was no no set programs. Like even when I was playing in NHL, there was uh, there was no set programs. But you know, you just went home and you did whatever you thought you you know would would make you a better player. Now everything's so technical and uh, it's it's so diverse when it comes to the different aspects of training that you can do and the uh, the knowledge. Uh, you know, not only. You know, from the from the trainers themselves, but you know the knowledge that you can acquire just by going online and being able to put all the pieces together. So nowadays, if players feel they have a little bit of a deficiency in one area, they can they can basically just type that in and uh, you know and search it and and find find ways to get better at it. Absolutely. Well, it's definitely night and day from you know a couple of years ago when things weren't the same, obviously, but. Looking back at your own career, we might as well dive a bit into that. Like we said, you were born in Boston, raised in North Bay. You actually played for the Centennials, which I never realized. I thought I, I thought I knew a lot about my man Turk out here, but I'm just <laughs> learning more by the minute, folks, just like you are. And um, so you played for the Centennials for four years, and you were drafted in the sixth round of the 1986 NHL entry draft. So growing up, being a North Bay kid, you obviously – well, what was it like in the OHL? Did they have a draft then, or did you just go to the North Bay? Or uh, yeah, there was uh, there was a draft, and I was drafted as a as a as an underage, so you had to be taken in the first three rounds. And um, I played uh, I played six years for my dad growing up, so we were the first uh, AAA team in North Bay. Um, we played six years, and we actually our midget year we won uh, we we actually won the national championship that year. So wow. the what is now the air, uh, it used to be the Air, air Canada, Canada, I think now it's the 
Talus Cup. So, so you won the, uh, the we, Talus Cup, yeah, essentially. Wow, a, and a from a North Bay from, team. Uh, you know, a team of, uh, from a city of 50,000. Uh, you know, we played, uh, we played Notre Dame in, uh, uh, Notre Dame in the finals. And it was, uh, it was actually pretty exciting because we, we hosted the Pee Wee uh, all Ontarios, we hosted the Bantam All Ontarios, and then we actually hosted the uh, we actually hosted the Nationals here. So we actually uh, we won the midget, midget championship uh, in front of our. Home wow. Party. Were there any any other guys that kind of came through? For, uh, well, sorry, <laughs> came through that team as well. Like that kind of played in the OHL and stuff like that. Or uh, we had uh, so there was seventeen players on our team, and we had fourteen players play either OHL or NCAA Division. Wow. Hockey, so it was uh, it, again. It was pretty. Uh, pretty uh, exciting to be able to play with those those guys growing up and uh, you know to culminate it with uh, you know we played in front of like 4200 fans uh, at the gardens in midget and that's when the rink only held about 3400 so it was about wow, 800 over capacity but it was, uh, for, it was pretty cool for anyone that knows anything about minor <laughs> hockey too like that is a very hard Thing to win like that's very mm -hmm. impressive and being a team from North Bay like you said with a small population playing against every other midget team in the country in the country and there's some like I don't know I'm from Calgary and we had four midget teams in Calgary Calgary's got like 1.3 million people so like think about that you break it down yeah. like that like these are huge populations you're drawing from if the North Bay Trappers have won the TELUS Cup <laughs> that's unbelievable or the Air yeah. Canada Cup sorry that's very impressive like that's I, I, I heard that on the radio actually once and that actually made me like my jaw drop when I heard that I was like that's crazy yeah. it's like that's a hard trophy to win um, so then you go on to the OHL you play four years you ended up playing for the American World Junior team because you as you said were born in Boston I didn't know this so what was it like playing in the World Juniors back then I think my my goal growing up was to play for the uh, you know the I, I grew up in, in North Bay, so my goal was always to play for the, uh, you know, the Canadian National Junior Team. And, you know, we, uh, when that opportunity didn't present itself and I got a phone call from, and I didn't know at the time that I could even do it, but I got a phone call from USA Hockey or my parents got a phone call from USA Hockey and they asked if uh, I'd be interested in, you know, perhaps playing in the, in the World Juniors with the U.S. team. And, uh, you know, I... For me, it was an opportunity to put myself on, you know, the highest level of hockey, and it was around my draft year, and um, you know, I thought it would be a great opportunity. So I, I decided that that's what I was going to do, and I played. Uh, actually, played in two World Juniors, uh, you know, as an 18-year-old and as a 19-year-old, and um, you know, once once you once you make a decision on which country you're going to play for, that kind of sticks with you for the rest of your playing career. So. I played in uh, in two world championships for the U.S. team, uh, also at the end of some NHL seasons. That's awesome. I think that's really impressive too. So that year, how did the how did you do in the World Juniors? Did the states do okay that year? I can't really remember. Yeah. I know the uh, the first year was the actually the the year that there was a big brawl in PS. Oh yeah. So really, uh, what what a lot of people don't know. So they obviously know about the Canada Russia brawl. Yeah. With the lights out and uh, yeah. we actually brawled the U.S. in warm up. Uh, two games earlier and nobody, really? nobody really knows about that but we had uh, probably five or six OHL guys uh, you know a couple Western Hockey League guys on the US team at the time and you know it was uh, 
it was interesting to say we have uh, you know we had you know 12 or 13 other NCAA guys that uh, knew nothing about it yeah uh, yeah true you, know, you get one guy going over the red line back in those days and it's you know, a it was, melee it, uh, yeah <laughs> so they, wow. they didn't know what was going on and we tried to warn everybody you know stay on our side and, but it, it didn't happen and, uh, sure enough we had a little uh warm-up brawl that's un could you wow. imagine if there was a brawl in yeah, the world insane. juniors today it'd oh. be the end of the tournament they hockey would be canceled yeah it's, it's it's completely different uh you know there's so there was so many unwritten rules back then and uh, <laughs> now it's now it's now it's so di it's so different the, yeah the whole game is different from uh you know from minor hockey all the way up to the pros and you know, obviously they're trying to get fighting out of it, but you look at some of the old, you know, the old brawls. Yeah. You know, when uh, Mike Milbury's in the stand yeah. beating some guy with his shoe. shoe like, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, it's just insane. It is, it is quite crazy, and I'm definitely gonna have to retouch on this subject because I've seen some of the guys that you've played with in the AHL. Like you played with some big boys, and we'll get further on. To the, we'll talk about that as we go. But so I'm moving off on the from your junior career. After that, you go and you basically short stint in the minors in the international league. That's what it was, right? The IHL back then. And then you're up with the big club in New York only about, so you made the break into the NHL at 20, right? Correct. Yeah, so yeah. that, so you, what, I always like to ask this question, I think about it. So like coming from the OHL, you know, being a young stud, ripping it up, was it crazy all of a sudden you're playing in Madison Square Garden? Like you grew up in North Bay playing at the gardens in front of 3,000. And then Play from the gardens to the gardens. You're going to the, best, the biggest arena in the yeah. world. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, after my, so my fourth year junior, uh, as soon as we, I think, I think we either didn't make the playoffs or lost early, and uh, right away I got a phone call and uh, the Rangers wanted me to go play in, uh, you know, in Denver. Uh, for the end of the year and for the playoffs with the IHL team and the following year I went to training camp so it would have been my second training camp I guess or might have been my third training camp and I, I, I didn't really participate in the first two I was really small I was probably only uh, when I was drafted I was only 145 pounds uh, so it, it seemed like every year I went to camp the first two camps I went to it was like oh uh, no you didn't pass the medical and I'm like, what do you mean I didn't pass the medical? Like, I'm in, I'm in great shape. But mm -hmm. I, I, and looking back, looking back on it, I think they were keeping me out to basically to save me. Really? Because, you know, again, back then it was just, uh, you know, there was fights and there was big guys and we step in and uh, a guy like Barry back in, there was, you know, 225 pounds on the bench press and it was like how many times you can do it in a minute and like that would have crushed my rib cage yeah <laughs> uh, he's doing like seven yeah <laughs> yeah so i think they basically held me out of camp but uh, i went back the third year after playing in the in the minors and had a great camp and they kept me around and um, made the starting lineup that year and uh, my first two line mates I actually played left wing and uh, Marcel Dion was my second <laughs> Guy Lafleur was my right are you serious that was your, that was my, that was your that first was line first line Home. Yeah. You're a center, How right? Is it? Or I, I was I was naturally a center, but they they put me on left wing, and that was my uh, that was my first line, and it was wow. Uh, so probably five or six games in, I remember I had a two on one, and I was going down with uh, Guy Lafleur. <laughs> 
And uh, I kind of looked him off and shot. And the next day I got sent to the miners. Really? No way. So I don't know if he went in and said, I don't want that guy here anymore. Or, um, so what so are those I was, guys? I was up and down a little bit that yeah. year, and uh, you know, but it was a it was a learning experience for me. And yeah, definitely. So. How are those guys like to play with on the same line? Though, when you go into your first game and you know you're with those guys, do they come up to you say anything, or is it just business as usual for those guys? Like, I think it was just business as usual. Yeah. Uh, you know, for them it was, you know, probably nothing out of the ordinary. For right. me, it was like probably dripping my stick about, <laughs> yeah. about two hundred pounds of too much pressure, but uh, right. It was uh, it was interesting. Like I was I was just so naive, and I I, I really didn't know what was going on. Like right. even during the during the training camp, we we held our camp in uh, Trois Rivières, and uh, that's when I started playing on the Fleurs line a little bit in camp. And it, you know we come over the boards, and you know, he's he's a legend in Quebec. So we come yeah. over the boards, our line comes over the boards for face off, and the place goes nuts. And I'm thinking they're all cheering for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, they really like me. Yeah. <laughs> that's Meanwhile, awesome. Meanwhile, uh, you know, you feel yeah, like yeah. Put two and two together. Like, oh, that's not me. But uh, it was, uh, you know, it was it was really interesting because, again, I'm, you know, from a, you know, a city of 50,000 people and all of a sudden you're playing in front of 20,000 crazy fans in, in yeah. New York. And uh I just uh, I used it as I used it as motivation. I just went out there and I played like I was, I, you know, I almost played like I was scared to do something wrong. So I just worked worked my tail off. Yeah. Uh, and and that's you know I I, I became somewhat of a fan favorite in New York, and, nice. and most of it was just because I worked hard. You played in a couple of different cities. How was the Ranger like? Fan base. Uh, it was it was different um you know now again the, the game has changed on the ice it's changed off the ice also like uh you know the the first you know the the lower section of madison square gardens used to be you know the businessman and right. but not not like it is today but just a little bit higher class mm-hmm. uh down and but up the upper deck was just new york hoodlums yeah yeah <laughs> like there was fights up there yeah and, uh you know we're playing philadelphia in the, oh. in the playoffs one year and you know i know in game one there was a huge fight because the guy was wearing a flyers jersey up and we just don't do that yeah anymore. yeah and uh there was a huge fight up in the upper deck and um so i guess the guy came back the next time with his flyers jersey and they didn't fight him they just lit him on fire <laughs> God, like they came with a gas, like a, a gas. That's insane. Is this like in the nineties, early nineties? Yeah, early nineties. Like it was just that's it was nuts. Just, Prisoners. That's just, the way, that's just the way it was. Yeah, that's just the way it was, and it was just. Uh, uh, but they were loud. They were boisterous. Um, you know, so uh, you know it, it changed a little bit. Uh, you know, during the course of my career, I played in Hartford, and that was a year before they went to Phoenix. So we drew about four thousand fans a game, except when we played the Rangers or. Boston hmm. because the Ranger fans couldn't get tickets in New York so they go to Hartford and really? you know we'd be sitting in the dressing room before the game you know talking about the crowd and you know how we had to get a goal early to get the crowd out of it but meanwhile we're playing at home. Wow. That's, <laughs> like it was, that's yeah. hilarious. So it was uh, you know then you go you know kind of come full circles and you know our time in, in Winnipeg was uh, same idea was the year that before the Jets moved to Phoenix. Right. So everybody in Winnipeg hated us, and you know, 
Yeah, that's tough. Small crowds and, you know, then San Jose, completely different. No idea about hockey whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I got traded to San Jose, I think, with eight games, eight or ten games left in the regular season. Uh, our fan appreciation home game, our last game of the season, we lost 9 nothing to Calgary. Oh. And we came out of the rink, and the fans were ecstatic that we played so well. And uh, <laughs> and I'm coming from New York thinking, man, whew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just loved hockey and they loved um, you know they loved uh, really? you know the players and then St. Louis is just just a sports town and yeah. then Nashville was back to you know an expansion team with uh, uh, 18,000 southerners that knew nothing about the game like yeah. I mean like absolutely nothing like during the exhibition season the, the ref would blow the whistle and they would announce what what why the whistle was blown. Oh, that is offside. Really? No, they did that in Nashville. You know, yeah, in Nashville. <laughs> and that was completely different. Now, yeah, yeah. Like, you've, you've seen the transition to, to Nashville, but yeah. they would explain basically every whistle. And you could buy, you could rent headsets that would explain, like, what a face-off was and why they wow. changed on the fly. Because, you know, changing, just changing while the play was going, just something they didn't ever see. Probably looks hilarious if you didn't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people were in headphones. Why, why is it going off? Yeah, they're like, mm-hmm. you know, like they don't realize that like they get tired. A very unique game when you think about yeah. it. Like, you don't know much about hockey. They'd be, I'd be renting headphones probably. <laughs> yeah. I never watched a game. <laughs> I, uh, I just want to take you back a little bit to Winnipeg because you played with a couple iconic guys in that team too. You had like Timo Solani and Keith Kachuk, and then obviously Shane Doan, a guy that was young at the time that became one of the best yeah. leaders in the game, right? So. Did, could you kind of tell with a guy like Shane Doan at that age that he was gonna be at that like get to that level yeah. and for so guy Shane was uh, Shane was actually 18 years old when he played uh, when he played in Winnipeg with us and we had three other um, three other 18 so we had four 18 year olds on wow. the team and we were at the time you didn't know like some of those players you just mentioned like Habi Bulin and Solani and. Yeah. Uh, Zamnoff and uh, Kachuk, yeah. and he, he didn't know where they were going to be. Yeah. You know, Tepo Newman and another one like those guys. Were all I, love, I used to love that guy. So yeah. But it, it's like you know we were young. They were all young at yeah. the time, and um, but uh, you know Shane was quiet. He uh, you know he had his uh, uh, head on straight, and he was he was just a great he was a great kid, and mm. you know could you kind of foreshadow him being a leader you know or playing for as long as he did maybe not at that time yeah it was only one year but um you know of the of the four 18 year olds he was by far uh the smartest uh, you know head on straight kind of guy yeah we played you know there was another there was another defenseman and i, I actually this is probably one of the funniest stories <laughs> uh that I have um, so he played junior we didn't know much about the guy so he played in the Quebec League uh, or yeah the Quebec Major Junior League and uh, we found out at some point that uh, because everybody talks to players on other teams and so we, we found out that when he went to uh, in his first year in, in the Quebec Major Junior League uh, when the players billeted it out uh, whatever house they were in, the, pay, the team paid to have a phone installed for the player. 
so that if the coach had to call the player, he could call him basically on his own landline, his his own number, and uh, not have to worry about you know not have to talk to the Billet family. Right. Anymore. So they called for curfew one night, and uh, the phone rang. The phone rang, and he didn't answer. And so they called back again, and the phone didn't answer. The phone rang. He didn't answer again. So he gets to the rink the next day, and coaches like. Uh, uh, can, you need to come and see me in my office. And so he starts questioning. He's like, uh, you know, uh, where were you last night? He's like, well, I was at home. He's <laughs> like, well, we called you three times and you didn't answer. He's like, oh, you didn't call. You must have called the wrong number. And the coach is like, no, we have your number and we, we know we made, sh- we made sure we called the right number. He's like, well, I'm telling you, that phone was beside me all night and it never rang. And the coach says, you know, well, where were you? He's like, well, I was at my girlfriend's, but I plugged the phone in when I got there. <laughs> and he who, thought who it was going to work. And yeah. <laughs> so he thought he, he was going to plug his phone in at his girlfriend's. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> so, like, once, you know, once guys find that out. It's yeah. Just, who was this? Or is this the defenseman you're talking about? Like a younger? Yeah, it was a younger okay. defenseman. <laughs> That's funny. So it was, uh, you know, once people find that out, it kind of hangs with you for the rest of your yeah, yeah. Oh my god, no doubt. That's <laughs> That's also hilarious too because like what a difference it would have been back then. Like cripes, it couldn't yeah. have been that hard to get in trouble. Like you literally like you, just like no social media, all that. Yeah. Just, it just yeah. changed so like we said again, it's just changed so much. I really have to touch on this before we don't talk about it. We didn't even bring up the fact that you played in an All-Star game in 1991. Yeah. And we were talking about this earlier. You didn't just play in an All-Star game. I argue that this is the most insane All-Star lineup ever. I have to just I have to quickly read some of these names. This is the starting lineup for both squads. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Al McKinnis, Chris Chelios, Adam Oates, Luke Robitaille, Mike Vernon, Wayne Gretzky, Hall of Fame. <laughs> Paul Coffey, Cam Neely, Joe Sackick, Rick Tockett, Patrick Wall, Ray Bork, Hall of Fame. <laughs> Guy Lafleur, Brian Leach, like Mark Recchi, Denny Savard, like un- Theo Fleury, Mark Messier, Phil Howes, I- Scott Stevens, Jeremy Roenick, Steve, yeah, I could go on, I'm seeing more names as I go. That is unbelievable. The 42nd National Hockey League All-Star Game, Darren Turcotte, our Darren Turcott, right there. I'm pointing at his name right now on the roster. What was that like? Where was that? I was in Chicago, uh, I was right? In Chicago yeah. during the Gulf War. So it was insane. It was a, like Chicago is renowned for like being extremely loud during the national anthem. Yeah. That game, it was. I've never experienced. It. They talk about that, don't they? A lot. Oh yeah. That was like a very memorable anthem yeah, because it was, it was in the height of the war. Like, you know, there was probably. 10,000 American flags wow. and it was the loudest like my first my first ever regular season game was in Chicago and you know they they basically had warned me that you know this national anthem is going to so they had the organ going and and it was loud and it gets louder as the national anthem goes and it just you're like wow this is like halfway through you're like you can't get you know and it yeah. gets louder during Jeez. the Gulf War it started where it would normally end and it just got louder from there. And it was the most insane thing I've ever been a part of when it comes to a national anthem. It was just, uh, um, like, again, I, you know, I think it was uh, that was after my second year. So I was still, I was still pretty young, and 
Uh, you know, they had the skills competition. It was not like it was now, but, uh, you know, the fastest skater. And um, I, I don't know even know what other events I did. I know I did the fastest skater. I lost uh, I lost to Paul Coffey. Uh, so it used to be it it's used to be just straight, it used to be just a straight race. Yeah, like it used to be from goal line to goal line. Like, oh really? Like just stop like, and start. Like, like just go, go, and you just go as fast. And it was whoever got to the well. I I got the outside lane like every time. So I had like about six inches to stop. Yeah, after I got yeah. The goal line because that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they had crash pads in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Case, you know, but uh, so we we. You know, there's a there's a lot of debating, but I probably actually won that race. But mm -hmm. uh, the camera angle was, yeah, and it wasn't like how it is now. The camera yeah. angle was coming from the corner, and and he actually told me that you know he actually told me right after that you know that I basically edged him out. And, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, the game itself, I don't know. I was just I was probably just in awe the whole time. You know, again, you're reading off holy, those, you're reading off those names, and I'm just watching them. Do you remember okay. the line you were on that game? Or, I have, or does it make I have no idea. Yeah, fair. I, it'd I probably have, just black out for me if I, I was there. No, <laughs> no idea. Like it was just the whole weekend was just a blur to me. You know, I had no idea. So you you walk into the dressing room and uh, you know Ray Bork's got like seven jerseys in his stall, and you know next guy's got six jerseys in his stall, and I walk in, I've got one. I'm like, but you had to. All you had to do was ask to have extra jerseys put on. So then they were, you know, one for the first half of the skills, and one for the second half, and one for warm up, and one for the first period, one for the second period, one for the third period, and they're all basically game one, and yeah. they give them away. I have one. <laughs> you still have it? Yeah, it's in my house. That's, oh, that's awesome. So if anybody else says they have one, they're lying. They're yeah, lying. Yeah, there's yeah. only one. There's only one. <laughs> nice. So. There will be no call. There will be no fakes of this jersey. <laughs> yeah. And just going off again on more names that you've played with, like I know now that you're a coach, is there any leaders that you played for that you'd kind of use some of their mentality into your coaching now? Like I know Mark Messier, ones that come to mind for me, and Keith Kachuk apparently is known for being a louder guy in the room and stuff. I, I played with uh, a lot of great leaders, uh, you know, throughout my career. Uh, you know, you got you had Messier, and then Pronger was in. Right. Uh, you know, Brad McCrimmon, who passed away in that uh, plane crash yeah. uh, uh, with the Russian team. Uh, you know, he was he was an older older defenseman when I got there, but he was like he was like dad to everybody. That's yeah. actually where Chris Pronger Chris Pronger actually stayed at his house for two years. Wow. Uh, you know, similar to you know Matthews and Marner. Like he basically took Chris Pronger under his wing, and he was going to make him. The player that, and I think that if you ask Chris Palmer, he would he would lean a lot on Brad McCrimmon for actually molding his career into you know so that you know he could have diverted you know 18 years old you can divert pretty quickly um, you know in some of those cities and you know Brad took him under his wing and Chris King and uh, was in uh, Winnipeg when I was there great great guy great leader you know somebody that you count on all the time and then. Uh, San Jose, Owen Nolan, again, great guy, kind of led by example, wasn't, uh, you know, was an Irish guy, but, uh, you know, said what he had to, but, you know, not all the time, so it was, uh, there's some, some great leaders, some great players, uh, you know, somebody always asked me the best player I played with, and it, it's just so hard to pin people through the list, uh, yeah. Brett Hall, and uh, Al McInnes, and in San Jose, you guys with Bernie Nichols, and... <laughs> You know, Hartford, we are, or Winnipeg, we already talked to guys. It's just, uh, you know, New York, Brian Leach, Mike Richter. <laughs>
<laughs> Unbelievable. That's just crazy. So <laughs> that's impressive. When you were in the NHL, like what what were the big spots when you were in the NHL that it was always like I'm going to wherever and it's going to be a good time, like having some fun. Um, like what do the boys look forward ice. to, or just maybe exactly this is not <laughs> strictly an on ice podcast. Um, <laughs> well, I on the ice, I I really enjoyed it playing in, in the old buildings like the old Boston Gardens, Maple Leaf Gardens, yeah. Montreal Forum. It, it was just a different, because it, they were just starting to build the, the, the bigger rinks and those rinks were like a shoebox. They were, the ice surfaces were smaller, the stands were kind of stacked. Yeah. Where it wasn't just like uh, first level, second level, or they were basically like first level and then the second level was like right over the first level but at a steeper angle so you could see over yeah. them. And the third one was you needed a step ladder to get up to the top. <laughs> so, um, those, those rinks were pretty cool. Off the ice, um, off the ice was, it was different. We'd always seem to get, you know, days off in LA or, um, you know, that was always pretty cool. Like some of the people you see, uh, you know, after the game hanging around in the hallways in LA. And I think Nashville is kind of like that now. Like Nashville, yep. like the country stars just love the players down there. And mm. Even when we got there, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Like some of the, you know, some of the country stars that were, that we got to know, like Joe Diffie and you know, Garth, Garth Brooks. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Uh, you know, Garth Brooks came, you know, to probably three or four of our games, and he'd be sitting in the wives' room after the game. And he was as excited to meet us uh-huh. as, as you were to meet. Really? Nice. Yeah, it was just cool. it was just absurd. Yeah. Just, uh, so this is actually this is actually Garth's guitar. No. No, it's not. Yeah. Turk's got his guitar right behind us right now. We, oh we brought him in goodness. for a little jam session later. That's Garth Brooks' guitar. That's a Garth Brooks guitar I'm looking yeah. at, folks. I could, it, that's a beautiful wow. guitar. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it to you. It's gold. <laughs> no, but that's a nice like. It's that, got six strings. Yeah. <laughs> it's guitar. Um, he gave that to you. Yeah. Like as a yeah. Wow. Like so it, what happened? How does that happen? Well, we, so we had our we'll, we'll call it a garage band. Uh, you know, again, it was basically a, an expansion team. So, uh, you know, just like I found out, you play guitar, and mm-hmm. uh, so we started kind of hanging out and playing whatever we, we could play at the time so I was kind of just learning at the time and so word got out that we had this garage band like all players on the Preds there was five yeah so there <laughs> no was five way. do you remember some of the names or uh Sebastian Borlo so he was a singer <laughs> this is unbelievable <laughs> singer yeah yeah um is he fighting uh, Joel Bouchard played uh bass guitar nice. uh dominic roussel <laughs> played everything like really he, he was like the he was a musician in the group like he could play synthesizer drums guitar nice. it didn't matter yeah who was a fit oh danny lambert danny lambert played <laughs> uh he played guitar too so anyway so we we just fool around and, and so one day the PR people like uh, Josh Leo, who's a producer for the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, yeah. he wants to produce an album. With you guys. With you guys. No. <laughs> so we're like, well, we only play like three songs. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't play them very well. We just kind of fool around. And, 
uh, don't worry, we'll make it all sound good. So we went in there and we ended up doing uh, six songs. And it was the most, again, it was just something that I'll never forget. So yeah. You get to the studio and they put everybody in a different room. So we've never, we've just played in a, a in a bedroom or in a garage or so we're all in different rooms and we have to wear the headsets and everybody's doing their part but you can't see them yeah but you can hear them which is weird yeah <laughs> definitely weird. timing yeah. off the timing yeah. is off wow. if you if you start getting lost when you're playing guitar i yeah. can always look at denny and kind of oh yeah okay yeah 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 but you don't see anybody so we, we do a song and he's and then the way they do it they just so everybody's on a different track and they'll come in and say uh oh you missed the g chord in the uh you know in the chorus can you just play a g chord and you play a g chord and they just add it in and they just plug it in wow that's crazy that's so cool so it was uh you know we didn't really know much about the guy that was producing it but one of the, we wanted to play fishing in the dark by nitty gritty dirt band so we're trying to explain the song to him and we're like uh you know we're humming the song we're <laughs> Uh, trying to play it on our guitars and we can't really play it but we're like we really want to play this song it's a pretty cool song and yeah, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was pretty big at the time and so he grabs uh, like for five minutes he's probably like I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about I've never heard the song and, and he grabs a guitar and he plays a song from start to finish lead guitar like all the solos and everything we're like that's the one <laughs> Yeah, that's it. He says, <laughs> yeah, he says I, uh, I produced their albums, and uh, the day they produced or they did that song, the lead guitar player wasn't here, so I actually had to play the lead guitar part. <laughs> that's oh, unbelievable. So, oh my God. So, did you have, anyway, does this band have a name? Did you, your band? I don't know if we had a name. I was going to say, like, where are these songs? I was like, where yeah, are I these? Don't think, I, I don't think you ever find them. I yeah. don't, I don't, uh, Couldn't pick it up at HMV it, it, or something? It didn't, it didn't go no, did, did not as many like, sales. Were they at like, the games? Even, don't even think it went paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were they playing them at the games? You know at all? Or like was it just? Yeah, uh, they played. Yeah, they played. So we, they had other artists that filled in. Right. Was, you know, a, a five-song CD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they had other other country stars play songs like in nice Niners, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, so that's cool. unbelievable we played, yeah, we played wow. one live event we played uh, <laughs> at one of the predators uh, uh, big galas or something the intermission <laughs> all players I, I yeah. actually yeah so I actually missed it because I had a knee surgery that day and, oh, uh, man. and but, uh, wow it was uh, it was it was fun. It was you know, so it's just cool. something that you know you're always looking for something to to do away from the rink. Yeah. And uh, you know there's every city has something different. Like Winnipeg, away from the rink, you just went home and sat at home in front of the fireplace because it was so cold. You're snowed in. Yeah. So cold, you didn't want to do anything. Yeah. You know, basically, get to the rink and go home. Wow. That's it. How was San Jose for that? Was there anything going on there? Like I know it's different. San Jose, you could always find something yeah it seems yeah. like a pretty sweet spot yeah you know golfing is it's yeah yeah true. it's midsummer right it, from you know from the northern ontario perspective it's midsummer all year yeah all year, uh, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's I, always been something. I'm not trying to interrupt here. I'm just cruising the web on Elite Prospects, looking at all the amazing people you've played with. And you played with Drake Barahowski. I did. I used to play for him. He was my coach okay. one year. Yeah, yeah and nice. he cut me actually. Uh, <laughs> last conversation we had, but I liked him. Uh, I think he was. Uh, I think he dated Mindy Mindy McCreary. 
while he was in uh, really in Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> really, I didn't know he's married now. Yeah. You know, he has a family. Yeah. That's but that's small world. Like so, you play with was, was like Dixie Chicks, Joe Diffie, Garth Brooks. Uh, <laughs> you go on and on. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, the our, icons, our, our like, party was unbelievable. Our, our year-end party, so yeah. we have it at you know Tom Fitzgerald's house, and we invite all. Oh, well, we'll invite them to our year party. And so we got the margarita machine, we got the beers, and we got the, the booze, and you know, so everybody's having a great time. And uh, get the campfire going, and we sit around the campfire, and you know, two of us have guitars, and uh, okay, well, we'll try and play a song. So we we basically butcher a song, but then you pass the guitar, mm-hmm. and it goes to you uh, goes to Salty, and Salty passes it to the next guy and the next guy and, and then Garth gets it. Oh, <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like, well, I'm not very good on guitar, but I'll play one. And he plays like one of his top songs. That, and you were just sitting there at a fire, fire listening to him sing it. Listen to Garth oh Brooks Acoustic God. Live. That's so Acoustic cool. Live in front of a fire. And <laughs> oh so he passes it to the next player and then it goes to Joe Diffie and Joe Diffie. I feel like I'm there. Yeah. And it just keeps going. And well, the second time around, I don't think like it touched any player's hands for more than half a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, keep it going, oh, keep it going. Yeah, oh, yeah. Garth's got it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was no more oh, playing man. after that. Yeah. Uh, keep, uh, just keep passing around. <laughs> yeah. you know, That's three, awesome. Three so hours cool. later, we're still less listening to like, you know, four yeah. or five country artists, Dixie Chicks. Uh, you know, <laughs> just, uh, That's crazy. That is definitely crazy. When people, so now when people ask you, do you tell them that you're an NHL veteran or a recording artist? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I'm a musician first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll play a song all together. Yeah, the boys actually. Turk told us. Uh, Salty texted me before this interview. He's like, "Bring your guitar." Yep. And we're, I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "We're we're sitting in the AC right now in the boardroom." And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I don't really want to go cutting around campus with my guitar under my arm." But the boys all have their guitars, and there's gonna be a jam go. session. I only see two. Oh no, we got a third. We got one over here. Mine's oh, in my case oh, here, okay. hiding. Yeah, yeah. So we're ready to go. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't even. This guy's got. <laughs> Garth Brooks in, yeah. his, in his like rhythm guitarist yeah, there back when he played in Nashville. So trust me, <laughs> expectations here. It may be Garth. It doesn't sound like. <laughs> so tell us how did so did you like how did you get how did you give me the oh, guitar? So yeah, yeah. so we're in, we're, getting, yeah, we're, we're in the recording studio and so I have my probably ninety nine dollar guitar and a guy comes in. He's like, uh, who plays uh, who, who plays acoustic here? I was like, well, I do. He's like, uh, yeah, Garth wanted me to bring this down. It's been in a, our manager's office for during his tour. So this was basically the guitar that stayed in the manager's office in case the entire transport caught on fire and he was supposed to do a concert that night. Mm-hmm. This was the guitar that they would ship him. So, um, yeah, so again, it 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 is Garth and... Uh, it probably could sound really good <laughs> if he played it. <laughs> Even though he said he can't play guitar very well. But, uh, Man, that's but it, so cool. it just gives you an idea of like even their level. Like you know, he's an unbelievable guitar player, obviously. But when he compares himself yeah. to his lead guitar, his echelon of guitar players, he's, he would, he's like he's probably bad. He's, yeah, he's he's terrible. So. Yeah, terrible is pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. seriously. Um, just to wrap up kind of your playing career here before we move on to your coaching, um, 
I've noticed some of the coaches you've been coached by too. Like Roger Nielsen's a huge deal in Ottawa too. He's a big part of uh, you know he has Roger's house and and he was an incredible part of our community. And then you have guys like Barry Trotz that's doing great stuff. Joel Quenville, um, like there's huge names out there. Mike Keenan obviously is known for his good or bad antics, but there's those are huge names. Like just to try to go in from your playing to coaching career, how did that impact you? Well, I think I. You know, even from when I was younger, like my dad and uh, Bert Templeton, who was, you know, an icon in, in North Bay and, you know, throughout the OHL. And um, I, I really tried to, you know, not, probably not at the time, but once I got into coaching, I probably tried to take a little bit of everybody. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, you know, you go from one extreme. So, like, Roger Nielsen was, like, the one extreme where he was a, a player's coach. He wanted to know everything about you, everything about your family. Uh, if we had a, an optional skate, he wanted you to come with your kids. Nice. He didn't want you to go on the ice, but he just wanted to have kids running around the dressing room. Mm-hmm. And hmm. he wanted the kids on the ice. And... Uh, Christmas cards and like he'd send out like 5,000 Christmas cards. Really? Wow. Like anybody that ever played for him got a card. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. But that's just the way, that's the way he was. And, uh, you know, great guy, loved, uh, you know, loved hard workers and, you know, and then my next coach was Mike Keenan. <laughs> Real. I don't think you could ever go from one extreme to the other, right? That, like that must have been the like craziest. That's probably as far apart as you can yeah. possibly get. Like he was not a player's coach. He was, uh, you know, it was his way and mind games, and uh, you, you just never knew what to expect. Like we lost, uh, so that year we we started the season four and zero, and so we used to have five game bonus segments in New York and we started 4-0. Uh, we played Anaheim at home. We lost in overtime. Uh, that was Anaheim's first year, so it was their first win ever. So we get to rink the next day and uh, get on the ice and he's standing on the back of the net and the guy's kind of skating around like, what, what's going on? Yeah. And we can't shoot, there's no pucks. And he lined us up on the goal line and we skated for an hour <laughs> in two groups. First group down and back. Second group down and back. Versus hour straight. First group down and back. Second group down and back. After 35 minutes, he's like, yeah, that's kind of boring, isn't it? First group down and back twice. So we skate for an hour, can't even feel our legs. We're we're 4-0-1 to start the season. (laughs) He's like, we never lose to Anaheim, ever. So we get off, and then he sends everybody off, and he's sitting in the dressing room, in the middle of the dressing room, and he's got all our bonus cash. So it was probably like anywhere from 900 to 1000 bucks for the five-game segment that we had earned because he gets so much for a win and so much for goals against. And he's, and he's got this stack of envelopes. He's like, uh, congratulations on a, first, a great first segment. Uh, have your money here, uh, you know, Salty, come on over. And he had to go over and shake his hand to get the cash after he just bag skated you for an hour. 
<laughs> like the mind games are just it nuts. Was just, like it was just insane. And probably made you like look him in the eye too when you did oh, it. Yeah. Like it was just oh yeah. So that's I wanted to say this quickly before you even brought this up. So like he is an intense fella. Like, like there's and it's Extremely. and it's yeah. just like all the time. Like the, you don't he's he just like on the you on, never know you never know if he's serious or not. That's what I, I've heard. You the, never know if he's like. <laughs> I used to love him because he coached the Flames as a kid, right. but like now I hear these stories, I'm like, like this is, is unbelievable. Is he really mad or is he like joking? Or is he really happy or is he just pretending he's happy, but he wants to see how you react if he's happy, but he's really pissed? <laughs> and that was, that was just him. That wasn't his coaching. Like even off, like if you were to run into him like later on in your playing career, would he just still be that type of guy? Like I played in the alumni game where the Rangers played uh, Philadelphia in Philadelphia. Yeah, in the outdoor game? And uh, he called me in and I'm like, oh boy, what's he going to say for now? I'm like, I haven't been playing for that. He's like, uh, what kind of forecheck do you think we should use? <laughs> Is this like, is this like for like the outdoor game? Yeah. Yeah. And he's running like a one, two, two, four check tight. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I, don't know he, I don't know if he was serious or not, but he called me in and I'm like. Thought you were in trouble again, like going back. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't, with him though, you wouldn't even know the difference, right? He would just ask, right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you just don't know. You, you, you really wouldn't know. It was wow. Just, and it was like that, and I, I think I only lasted, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 games, a little bit in and out of the lineup, and uh, I wasn't really one of his guys. I worked hard, but I wasn't one of his guys, and uh, I got traded probably for somebody from Chicago because he had a lot of, like on that final Ranger team, it was, uh, we had won the President's Trophy, I think the year before, and, uh, so it was a good team, but we lost in the playoffs, so they fired Roger and brought in Keenan, and uh, it had already started a little bit of transition to the Edmonton Oilers. So we had uh, Messier, Kevin Lowe, Adam Graves, Asatikinen, uh the guy without the helmet. Uh, I can't even remember who that was. Craig, Mc Craig I was just gonna Craig say it. I knew, I knew you were gonna Craig say his name. Um, and then, so there's probably Jeff Bukaboom, another player. <laughs> so it was like, at that time it was part Rangers, part Oilers. Then Keenan comes in and he brings in uh, Steve Larmer, uh, Stefan Matto, Brian Noonan, Greg Gilbert, and I think there was another. So there was like five guys from Chicago and six guys from, yeah, and then nine guys from the Rangers. That, wow. won the, that won the cup. That's weird. So, so he was like essentially like very different dynamic with a with a coach like Keenan comes in just kind of flips drop. And honestly, it was like he he brought you know obviously he brought some good players, but like he brought in the sandpaper guys like Matto Matto Noon and Gilbert. Uh, you, you look at those three guys. They they weren't, but they were Mike Keenan's guys. Mm -hmm. Right. And if Mike said do this, they would do this. Yeah. And he didn't. He they were like his backbone mm -hmm. and he could always lean on them uh, like I don't know how they I would have declined the trade if I would <laughs> oh he's gone finally yeah seriously <laughs> you're like I, you can't do that for then more than a couple years he's like he wants you back I'd be like no I passed <laughs> <laughs> that's unreal um what I this is an absolutely loaded question here but if you could somehow 
in your opinion, the five best players you played with? <laughs> if you had to do like a starting five type I thing? I thought we already went over that. Um, <laughs> well, did, did, I guess you kind of asked that. Yeah. Uh, or, like, no, I, I just, you know, like in in goal, holy cow, I'll, I'll try and give you a starting lineup. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is there awesome. May, there, there may be multiple players at some position. That's fine. Like, yeah, yeah. If I start you goal, can put a roster up. If I start goal. in goal, I've got uh, uh, Mike Richter in New York. Unbelievable. Nikolai Habibulin. Back in up. Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean Burke in Hartford. Holy moly. Um, <laughs> I used to have his car. Ed Belfour in San Jose. That's unbelievable. Grant Fuhrer in Chicago. <laughs> no wonder and, he's so uh, tough for him to make a lineup. Thomas Volkun in Nashville. So wow. there's my six, six starting goalies. <laughs> That's unbelievable. You know, some good goalies in there. <laughs> <laughs> now, I got quick, what were those guys like in practice? Was it hard to score on in practice? They were they like. They were all different. Yeah, uh, some of them don't go hard, maybe. Some of them are always Mike, locked in. Mike Richter was probably the most unbelievable goalie I've seen in practice. Like, he did not want to puck in the net. Yeah. Ever. Like, if we were doing it, if, if you scrimmage at the end, the, puck, the coach had to go pick up all the puck. He couldn't just put them in his net. Yeah, didn't want them, in didn't want them there. He, that was his thing. You know, you're skating around before practice and the goalie goes in the net. You've seen it before. Yeah. You go in, you go in. You're just ripping shit. In. Well, just think of like two guys coming in at the same time. The first guy shoots and the second guy kind of holds the puck and then he throw, tries to throw it. He's trying to like make three saves at a time. <laughs> He's like... <laughs> Like he just was wow. trying to stop everything. Is it like that warm up too? I know you guys have like the shooting. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like warm up, warm up. And I've talked to different people about this. Like, you know, everybody asks about uh, pregame rituals or superstitions or and and Harps, you've probably seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, Salty, you've probably seen it to yeah. some extent. If you videotape an NHL warm up from up above back-to-back games from the time the mm-hmm. first player stepped on the ice until the last player left the ice it's the exact same at no at no given time any player would be within five like outside of five feet of where it was the previous time like it's just it's like a it's like a dance mm-hmm. yeah you just you do it you skate the exact same pattern and you pass to the exact mm-hmm. same guys and you shoot when you're shooting on the goalies, you shoot to the same place mm-hmm. as you did the game before. Wow. So the goalies, it's just automatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, you can go close. It's actually, now that you point wow. that out like that, like I 100% agree. So like, yeah. you know, people always talk to me about, oh, you have superstitions. Routine. Uh, I don't know. Is that a superstition or is that a ritual? Yeah. So like, you know, like a superstition is, I find is more, you know, like, uh, I always put my left skate on. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But I did. Yeah, but without but thinking I about it. Though, I just right? naturally. You just did it. Yeah. I just did it, and I put my right skate on second. And if yeah. today, if I go to the rink, I would probably put my left skate on first. It's not a superstition. It's just what that's the way. Yeah. That's the way you do it. Right? And when you do talk to sports like psychologists and stuff like that, they're, they're like, "Yeah, you need a routine. You need to establish. Yeah. You need to write it down." But you guys were doing it, just weren't thinking about it, right? Well, there's saying, no, like, they, they always said there's no proof that it works, but if it helps you, why wouldn't you do it? Yeah. You know. And what I mean? there's no proof that it doesn't work. Or yeah. Didn't because. Well, you, you never change. Yeah. You never change. So yeah, how would you know if something else worked better? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't know. You know, like I, I, you know, when I was playing in New York, I, you know, my first year. So you know, my first year when I was 20 years old, and you know, I was a typical one-year past teenager, and um, 
you know, go for a pregame nap and last for five hours. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as, as I grew older and I would go to New York and eat my pregame meal at noon for a 7.30 game, and I'd go up to, we had a hotel room during the day downtown, and mm-hmm. go up to my room and I'd just basically fall asleep. And if I got up, if I woke up after 15 minutes, I would go to the rink and I'd get dressed. Like even if it was like one o'clock? One o'clock. Yeah. And I would be like, I'd have my skates on, tied, and all the way up to my pants. What, what time, like, like two, 2 p.m.? It, it, yeah. <laughs> wow. Really, eh? Yeah, like, basically I'd wake up, I'd walk across, and I'd get to the rink, and I'd just- Throw your stuff on? So I went through that phase, and then- <laughs> That's awesome. At some point, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't working. And so I'd still go to the rink early, but I'd just watch TV on the couch. And, mm-hmm. and then, uh, but when I got to the rink, I'd lay all my stuff out right in front of my stall, like skates, shin pads, elbow pads, shoulder pads, pants. And a minute and a half before we went out for warm-up, I'd go in and just... <laughs> really? Throw everything on and off I went. Yeah, so just the two extremes. <laughs> but, you know, so you go through you go through phases. Yeah. You, you try and, like, that probably isn't the best way to do things, the, the second way, but... I've seen a couple, I've played with a couple guys that do that exact you know, same like thing. talk about uh, Marlowe, you know, taking a cold tub. Yeah. Marlowe, right? Yeah, or, I think uh, I've seen periods, yeah, yeah. Marlowe? Yeah, it was so, Marlowe, yeah. Like, I never did that, but... How I do you would, get dressed that fast? I would completely, I, I would completely change everything. Like, really? What do you mean? Like, I would get completely undressed yeah. and throw new long, like, new underwear on, new shirt, new everything, and get dressed. Between every period? Between every period. Really? That would feel unbelievable. Yeah, seriously. I just hate but, getting dressed. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> it's too much. How long did you do that for? Always? Not always. It, again, it went in this bird. How Probably. fast are these guys getting dressed? It takes me like 20 <laughs> minutes still to get fully dressed. Yeah. yeah. So wow. there's, uh, you know, new gloves, new. Yeah. So everything was basically dry. Yeah. Now, now they change gloves like every sh- mid period. Every yeah, shift. Yeah. Every shift. Yeah. Like, well, there's nothing worse than wet gloves. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well, I guess, transition a bit more so onto your coaching side of things. So, you have been the head coach of the women's hockey program here at Nipsing since it was uh, started here. What was that? Six years ago now? Yeah. Something going, like that. Going into our seventh year. Yeah. So, and you were involved with the men's program beforehand, but. You getting involved in coaching, was that something you planned on or was that just like a way to stay around the game and it's turned into something a whole lot more? Um, So when I retired in Nashville, I was probably bored. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you go basically, you know, since you're young and I was here, go to the rink and you practice and you play and the weekends and uh, I probably got to a point where I was just, so my son at the time was probably, eight years old and uh, hockey was just starting in Nashville so I decided I was going to coach his team and uh, like novice house league or not I think it was just novice I don't I don't think there was enough players to have like house league in a right mm-hmm. just everybody to a team here's the kids yeah. in the eight. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, 12, there's 12 of them yeah, yeah. So, um, so that was a little bit of a learning experience because I'd never coached before, and I, you know, never coached kids before, and uh, you know, so I'm trying to explain drills, and I had one player 
that and Devin would remember this. Um, so I had one player that he was like he was wearing a t-shirt like with his elbow pads. Like he didn't have a jersey, he was just a you know that those are the kids I was dealing with. So I just draw a drill where we're gonna skate like figure eight around the circle. And mm -hmm. he'd always go to the back of the line. And first guy would go and he'd skate the figure eight. Next guy goes skate the figure eight and he'd go and he'd skate like the eight feet in the opposite direction. <laughs> just follow the guy in front of you, right? And uh so not knowing what I know now about coaching, you find out about your players, and at that age, I probably would have talked to his parents, And but he was dyslexic. Hmm. But I never really knew, and uh, so it was like, okay, everybody's gonna play every position, you're gonna play left wing, center, right wing, uh, okay, Harps, you're gonna play left wing. And if you were the kid, he'd be like, he'd slouch and drop his head. You're gonna play right wing, and he'd slouch. And if, if he played center, yeah. He liked that. But every kid likes that. Right. So I never even really yeah, yeah. thought about it until I found out he was dyslexic and he didn't know left and right. He became a goalie. Yeah. Because he knew exactly where to go. <laughs> no <laughs> way. That's easy. I yeah, yeah, yeah. That. I don't have to worry about anything. So he ended up playing, uh, I know he played high school hockey and, uh, nice. you know, down in, uh, down in Nashville. And um, so I, I went from there and then after that, uh, I started a midget AAA program in Nashville. And uh, this was probably like two or three years after that. And so a new rink was built. We had, you know, NHL predators were supposed to move down there for their practice facility, but they didn't. So we inherited this NHL-style wow. locker room for, <laughs> with a weight room and everything. And so we started a midget program. And it was the typical, you know, you start talking to players and, you know, what, what's your goal? They're like, oh, I want to play NCAA. And, uh, you know, they're, they're good players, like, in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to our first tournament in, in Detroit. And we pull in, and they start watching the game. And uh, I think, I know Little Caesars was playing. I don't know who, who they were playing against. And when they stroll up to the glass and, like, uh, what division is this? I'm like, that's who we're playing. <laughs> and their eyes and jo their jaws hit the, probably the, the ground. Yeah. Their eyes got about the size of a baseball <laughs> because they didn't realize that there was other hockey players that were that good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we're playing like that's Little Caesars in Detroit. That Little Caesars is like a legendary yeah, minor yeah, hockey one program. Of the best, one yeah. of the best programs in the country. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of shot down their NCAA <laughs> one dream <Right>. really quick. <laughs> But uh, then I, uh, I coached there for three years, came up, coached junior uh, in the uh, junior A tier two league for a couple years. And uh, I was working at an indoor training facility and working with a group of Bantam girls. And one of the parents who was the manager came up and you know asked me if I wanted to coach the team next year at Midget. So I thought about it and I uh, went home and told my wife that I was thinking about coaching our girls team that's you know, 15, 16 year olds and she asked me if I was crazy and <laughs> I said, well, you know, they're a good group of girls and um, so I decided I was going to do that and it was the same thing, the group put, played band and double B the year before, I said, I'm only coaching if we play double A because I want to expose you to the best competition and yeah. you know try and get you to play CIS or NCAA or uh, so three years later we lost in national finals 
with that basically with that group. Uh, and Jeez. from that Ice Bowls team, I think I had probably nine nine of those girls right here. There was a lot of them at the one point. I remember they yeah. all. Yeah. yeah, like Sabrina Picard and Alex Ann and Janika and the mm-hmm. McManus twins and huh. Taylor Murphy and. Uh, there's probably Jade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I would have forgot Jade, I would have hurt her. Probably would have fought <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. So you definitely. That's so impressive. Like then those. And you had some really good teams early on. Like I don't know. I think it's crazy just to see now. Like the program's grown so. It's crazy just to see how far. To think that you're only in your sixth season, right? Sixth season. Like that's. Like you were. Two, you were two times. You were one game away from going to nationals. Like so. it's really gone. Uh, it, it's really. Uh, it's really changed a lot. Obviously, from our first year, I was just. Uh, like, you know, I had a year to recruit to get. You know, twenty players in here. And yeah. I was basically taking anybody that wanted to come up here and now we have players uh you know there's tournaments going on last weekend and this weekend and i'll get anywhere from 80 to 100 emails a week of people asking you to come yeah, look come, at them come watch me you know so like you know some of them are like form letters they probably send them to everybody but mm-hmm. you know they our first year they weren't even asking to come here mm-hmm. No, people are begging at the door to get yeah. in. That's unbelievable. So how do you, you scroll through those emails, and how do you kind of get to know the players that are at that level and stuff? Is, do you have a community of coaches you talk to? Like, how does that go down? Yeah, I have coaches I talk to. I use, uh, you know, scouting services that are right. online to help me out because, again, you know, if, if I was in Toronto, I could catch a game basically every day of the week yeah. and, or go to a practice and watch players. So it's a little bit different uh you know, we, we've been very fortunate to have some great players from out west. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's something that, you know, our first year, obviously they didn't even know we had a team. So, mm-hmm. But we've had, uh, you know, we've had players from every province except for Newfoundland and uh, maybe the only one now. Wow. So, we, uh, you know, our current roster, we've got two girls from BC, a girl from Alberta. Uh, one from Manitoba, four from Saskatchewan, one from Quebec, one Jeez. from Prince Edward Island, one from <laughs> Nova Scotia. So, wow, that's impressive. You definitely have the mo- you the girl women's hockey team is the definitely geographically the most diverse team at Nipsing yeah. by far. Oh, yeah. Like they are really from all over. Yeah, like the guys, a lot of guys in the hockey team aren't from Ontario as well, but a lot of a uh, lot of players making their way to honestly making their way to play for you here at uh, with Nipsing. It's very impressive. Um, How's, and I honestly expect I expect big things this year as well from the team as well. You guys are probably, I think on paper this might be one of the better teams you've probably had. Well, we're we're going to be young this year, but uh, our recruiting class is uh, you know our recruiting class was phenomenal. Um, you know the scouting service that I do use uh, you know ranks all the players and um, you know ranks the re- recruiting classes. And this year's class is actually thirteenth. In North America, really, including all the NCAA Division One teams. So I think we're like uh, we're in between like Harvard and Northeastern. Jeez, those are the <laughs> those are the schools that we're in between for for this year's recruiting class. And number one in Canada, correct? Is that it? Or? Uh, yeah, number yeah. one in Canada by like a super wide margin. Yeah, so. wow, it's very know, impressive. It's, uh, it, it's good. We and it's a big class for us. So you know, I, I hate to use the word rebuilding. I think it's more we're just trying to reload. Mm-hmm. But we're reloading with <laughs> a huge group, and 
and kind That's of very good. skilled group. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it'll take them some time to adjust to, you know, the physicality and the, you know, the uh, the age difference. But mm-hmm. <coughs> it's a, you know, it's a great thing to be able to start at that, mm-hmm. like, at their skill level and then be able to build on them and roll over the next yeah. year. I think also the really, like, advantageous thing about like varsity athletics in a university setting is like so you get this big recruiting class coming in and if all things go like well they're not dropping out or whatever change in transferring you have a chance to have like a huge recruiting class do a four-year development period together like that you don't play off like even in your career you didn't play with guys very long like you probably play with hundreds of guys because but when you know you're gonna have like these people are like you're going yeah. to war with them for four straight seasons at least if yeah. you're going to get the degree that's pretty special and you have like an opportunity to, like it's not rebuilding like you just said but that's definitely a reload and that's something that you don't like never in those girls lives would they have ever played with someone four years in a row or if they was it was because yeah. they're a small town right. in this setting like i think that's very that's very that's a very good thing i think uh for the women's hockey team going forth like yeah. that's they're going to get a chance uh, to just match and you know it, it's a typical you know, uh, good players want to play with good players, mm-hmm. and we have some really good players coming in. Like we have, uh, you know, uh, so two years ago the midget rankings, we ended up with the first and second rank girl in midget hockey. Uh, we were, uh, we had the leading scorer from the uh, PWHL back-to-back seasons playing for us. It's pretty impressive. Um, you know, it's the first time it's ever been done that a, a player actually led led the league in scoring two years in a row. Really? And, uh, you know, so we're excited. Uh, you know, we have some, again, we have locals, so we talk about the Ice Bowls program and, uh, you know, I just talked to a Bantam team the other day and I talked about, you know, you're going to get all kinds of offers and they have some good players on that team and those players are going to get offers, but the grass isn't always greener. Uh, you know, outside of North mm-hmm. Bay, and mm-hmm. I think our our hockey program is a good example of that. Like, do I recruit players from BC and New Brunswick or Nova Scotia? Yeah, I do. But I've also had eighteen local players. Yeah, you've had a lot yeah. of locals, which I is think, very good. So I have eight. I've had eighteen players from North Bay actually play for our program. So. Wow. You know, if, that's uh, unbelievable. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's good for us. It's uh, you know it. it allows you know other people in north bay to to come and watch you know uh some friends of theirs actually play in north yeah. bay so you know we don't we don't necessarily take everybody from north bay that asks us but we try and we definitely do try and get the uh uh the best players in north bay to stay here now, now being a university program and having players come in and out and stuff do you consider yourself having being a coach that has like your set system or do you mix around and your coaching style depending on your players because you do have a lot of you know I, in and out i never uh, i always try and change yeah um uh, you know especially in today's day and age like you know uh i i actually take a little bit of the mike keenan approach uh, you know for some things so mm-hmm. like the power play for instance like if if i'm putting the the best our best five players on the ice yeah we want to give them some options but if they're my five best players, they should be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Because if I say, okay, I want you here and you over here and you here, well, the other team is going to watch our video from the mm-hmm. before and say, well, this is what they're going to do. Whereas if they just go out and do it, it's never going to be the same. Yeah. They're going to have some things that are going to work and then 
you know it may not work but the next game they won't they won't do it yeah and they also know so like it, yeah they know what they're good at too right it's being getting that level so they're more comfortable maybe doing what they right. do yeah exactly. that's interesting so you know we just try and pay we, we try and play fast uh we try and play physical uh you know physical and, and you know in relation to the female game mm-hmm. and uh we work hard that's you know if we do those things um if we do those things we're usually pretty successful cool absolutely that's gonna be i think it's gonna be a good year it's gonna be a good year to watch i'm excited to see how uh how the team will do obviously a lot of faces is gonna be it's gonna be good so everyone should be getting out there checking out the girls team watching them play trying to get the lakers crew buzzing out there again homecoming yeah yeah. the girls the first first time time ever first time ever we usually give them the weekend off some of the other teams don't like the fact that we do that yeah uh, (laughs) our players seem to enjoy it Um, not this year ladies (laughs) (laughs) this will be the first year we're actually playing uh on on homecoming weekend and it's uh you know the men's team is out of town so we get to play the the, the big game yeah, yeah. Saturday the night, so it'll be uh, time. it'll be exciting for them. What time's that at? Seven o'clock. Seven thirty. That's the twenty ninth. On the fifth. The fifth. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be exciting. Who are you guys playing? Uh, Laurentian. Oh wow, yeah. nice. Yeah. So. Be uh, it'll be exciting for them. Like you know, I I know they you know they don't necessarily mind the the weekend off and being able to. You know, participate in the homecoming fest- festivities mm-hmm. and going to watch every team. So that was the one thing that they've always been really good at. They, it's true. You know, the the team leaders or the, the leadership group make sure that uh, the entire team sees a minimum of half of every single team that plays that weekend's game. Nice. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. More, we should all be, everyone should be yeah, watching everyone play, I think. It's yeah. no excuse. Well, that's good. I think it's exciting. And I think one thing we should touch on, too, before we forget quickly is not only have you been given this opportunity, obviously, with the Lakers taking the program very far in six seasons, but you've now gotten involved with Hockey Canada and you've started coaching with them. And you were actually the assistant coach in the U18 team last year, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So tell us a bit about that. Like, that's not a joke at all. Like, you, you are getting involved with some great stuff. And obviously, you know, how is your transition, I guess, into coaching with the Hockey Canada side of things? Well, um, well, I I've been with the with Hockey Canada for probably bits and parts of six or seven seasons now as a camp coach and then as an assistant coach and I've worked uh, you know with some development teams and you know, some of the girls who played in the Olympics I've worked with them in the past and uh, you know last year we were uh, um, with the U18 team it was, again it was a, it's just. It's, it's it's a great group to work with because you know they're obviously the the, the best in Canada and uh, just for me it's also an opportunity to learn what hockey Canada is looking for in a player so that I can come back to our program and try and lead our players in the right direction you know so you know we talk about our testing and our off-ice testing that's a huge part of our our program is uh the off-ice side of things and all our protocols when it comes to testing are all based on what hockey canada wants so with hockey canada if you don't get 10 on the beat test you have zero chance they send you home right away don't they mm-hmm. that's not they send you like the, if you don't get they, the 10 you're mm-hmm. gone like they run the, they run the beat test and at the end of the beat test if you get 9.8 within five minutes you have a ticket 
Wow. A plane ticket. Hope you enjoyed Calgary. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks for yeah. coming. Like they, they, would, they would fly in on a Wednesday, and the beep test would be at 7 a.m. on Thursday morning. And if you don't get 10, you're probably on a plane by 11 o'clock. <laughs> Do you imagine That's flying to Calgary crazy. to do the beep test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See you later. But they, but they know. Yeah. They, they, Expectations they, are there, right? It's not like they just bring in and say, oh, yeah, by the way, yeah. we're on the beep test. Yeah. They, every player that goes to those camps knows that, you know, and so our our protocol is 10, mm. and our players know that that's, that's what you need to get. You need to get 10. And, you know, there's different ways to train for it. There's different ways to prepare. And But if I'm, if I'm a, and I've seen players get sent home, and I'm thinking, what do you, how do you, you can't. Like how? Like what are you doing? Go, go, yeah. go to have your parents fly you to Banff for a month. Train in the mountains. Just go walk yeah, in the mountains. You'll be fine. Do, yeah. do, like train three times a day. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter if you bench press ten pounds, but if you don't get ten on the beat test, you're, you're done. You're gone. And that's the way it's been for the whole time I've been with Hockey Canada. It's. Uh, I, I remember hearing that like back when some of my friends were going through the program like girls that were trying out they would always be talking about the beep test yeah. it's always like yeah. well gotta and get it, the beep yeah. test <laughs> they put pressure on themselves mm -hmm. again it's a but it's a you know the beep test is probably you know uh, 80% physical and 20% oh, yeah. mental yeah. or 60-40 even yeah. and you know if you step up to the line and you're nervous about it and your heart rate's 140 before you start you're behind the eight ball right away. You don't. You're not. You're mm -hmm. not giving your. But if you, you know, train properly and you step to the line and you're calm and relaxed and your heart rate's eighty, then your chances of being successful are more. And then once you get to the end, it's just a matter of you know what. I just have to turn around and keep going. Mm -hmm. I have to turn around and keep going. So, you know, Hockey Canada is looking at it from a physical. You know, are they in good enough shape? And they're also looking at the fact that you know what this this player is going to turn around she's going to go back like one minute left in the game and we turn the puck mm -hmm. over she's she's going to turn around yeah she's yeah go yeah so it's uh it, it's you know there's no right or wrong um you know is it the best way to do things i don't know but that's the way they do it i find that mental aspect really interesting when you're talking about like being able to go up to that line and know that you know you'll be fine bringing your blood pressure yeah. down and stuff like that when you're recruiting and you're talking to players, can you have that feeling from a certain player that you know if it's two minutes left in the game, we have a power play, we need a goal, like I can throw somebody on there and they'll be they'll have that like it factor and stuff, or is it just kind of? Um, I don't think you can really see it when you're talking to them, mm -hmm. but you know when you do watch them, um, you know when you do watch them on the ice, like that's something a lot of people don't understand and something that I explain to teams that I talk to, like it's not only. You know what you do when you have the puck. It's what you do when, or what you do when you don't have it. Um, your your body language, uh, your parents' body language. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like if I've I've been standing beside players that, you know, or parents of players that I'm watching, and I'm watching them, and you know, during the course of the game, I start to figure out that okay, I'm standing beside so and so's parent, yeah, dad. And next thing you know, he's trying to climb the glass, get after the referee, and it's like, mm. gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't need that. Yeah. yeah. Because if he's doing it, she's doing it. Yeah. He's going to do it Not at sure. some point, right? Yeah. So. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you have any 
questions before we uh, get the concert going. <laughs> yeah, before we take off the yeah. air, strike out the strings. Um, this is just a question I really random. Probably should ask you it earlier. Who is the toughest guy you played with and/or against when you're during your time in the NHL? The toughest guy that you remember. Who was the toughest guy? Yeah. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> uh, uh, toughest guy, probably Joey Koser. Yeah, uh, I've heard that before. Yeah, he had uh, uh, very rarely got hit. Uh, extremely smart, and usually only threw one punch a fight. That's unbelievable. Like, and he played with like Bob Probert, didn't he? Yes, he did. Like imagine uh, those two he, playing together. Yeah. You think he was they talking? They actually fought each other in New York once. Really? They're just. They, they were best friends. That's and, unreal. Uh, we just have to do it. And, Jeez. Yeah. Have you ever been so, in a fight? You know, uh, I got, I had one. Really? It was it in Madison Square? It lasted Square? probably like two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe one swing each and fall to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember so, who it was? Or? Uh, some Russian. Okay. <laughs> That's unreal. <laughs> maybe not even Russian. They're actually fairly tough. Probably a European. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you pick your battles. Uh, <laughs> nice. But yeah, again, like, you know, Tidomi, Joey Koser. You played with Chris, Chris Nyland too, didn't Chris you? Chris King, Chris Nyland. Uh, Jeez. Anti-Domi. Uh, Dave Manson, Tim Hunter, wow. Kelly Chase, Tony Twist. Tony, Tony Twist, Twist wow. man. Like you got, you're That's literally name. naming off like yeah. superheroes from my childhood. <laughs> yeah. Like these are guys I have hockey cards yeah. of under my bed. He actually has a cartoon. The Tony Twist? Yeah, yeah, I know yeah, he does, yeah, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. Man, oh, the NH you played, in my opinion, the in the era. golden yeah. era of the NHL yeah. because, like, just, well, I don't know if that's me being a hockey fan and I was so into hockey of, like, I knew all these players you're talking about. Like, mm -hmm. I was such a fan of the game and it's just awesome hearing these stories yeah. about, about you. Just, you know, it's, it's weird for me because I, I never really, I just take it for what it was yeah. and, uh, you know, don't, no self-promotion I just if somebody recognizes me or doesn't recognize me it doesn't it doesn't yeah. bother me yeah like I have yeah. kids you know like uh, we do the Lakers girls hockey school and uh, you know it's girls only it's the only one in North Bay and uh, I went on the ice one time and uh, one of the girls looked at me she's like uh, this is uh, girls only <laughs> it's awesome. perfect I'm getting off yeah <laughs> <laughs> but they they look up to our players as nice. role models. Yeah, yeah. And they don't want me out there. They don't care what I've done. They don't care. <laughs> and that was when I when I first started. Uh, you know, and it's kind of cliche, but when I first started, like that was one of my one of my things that like, you know, even like players don't care what you know mm -hmm. until they know how much you care. And I I try and. I really try and be that coach that cares about the players because in the long run it's all gonna mm -hmm. it's all gonna come back. I agree, and I think that's a very smart play, and they're gonna play for you. Yeah. It's a good philosophy for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know what boys. I think this, we did a great job. This yeah, is definitely the longest interview we've and ever the best. Done. I think yeah, it's probably our best. And I had a good time doing it. I've been waiting forward to this one. I wanted to yeah. ask you some questions. I'm probably I gonna. Had, I just had to be better than that guy from San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't take much. I don't <laughs> <think>. <laughs> well, Turk, this was awesome. Thank. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this. Um, like I said, had a great time doing it. Yeah, that's fun. Um, see Turk around the halls. Give him a hello. Say <laughs> hi. Very nice fella. 
And again, Darren, uh, thank you so much for doing this. This is awesome. Thanks, yeah, this guys. was great. Thank you so Have much. A blast. Yeah, sweet. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, very good to get a chance to talk to Turk about a wide array of topics, some hilarious stories in there. And um, yeah, it was informative. You know, I learned a lot about myself and about the game of hockey. And uh, I think that's what you want to do. Uh, it's funny when he was talking about all these guitar stories. Uh, we were just the other day on Overdrive. Jeff O'Neill was uh, on the air and he was talking about how everyone has that guitar guy. And he piped up and he was like, Darren Turcott was our guy. That guy always had the guitar out and was just wailing on it. So pretty funny to hear that. That was a, I think that came out a couple weeks ago. And uh, just, you know, and he still got the guitar out and is still strumming. Absolutely killing it. Uh, might have to make a garage band of our own, you know. Maybe I'll re recruit Turk. Maybe me, him, and Salty will be a three-piece band. Um, this is my avenue of reaching out to them. Hopefully, they can hear this part of me talking to myself, asking them. But uh, anyways, I hope they delete what I just said. Uh, folks, I'm going to leave it there. This has been a long enough episode. Had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, me and Salty been a little bit unorganized at the start of the school year, you know, figuring out our schedules with sports and whatnot. And... Uh, we promised to make an effort to get out weekly episodes here, and uh, we hope that you are still enjoying The Lake Show, folks. What else do you want to know? Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harrison Harper, and on behalf of my good friend, Matthew Samard, we thank you very much for once again tuning in. Have a great day, and thanks for coming, folks. Bye for now. So long,